Hello and welcome to New Hope Lockheed's podcast. I'm your host Christine Palmer and today's episode we have Terry Dellinger sharing his heart. He shares his testimony of what God's done in his life and man it was such a special moment to be a part of, to be in the room with him when he shared his heart and I can't wait for you to hear it so here it is, enjoy. This September, where if you've taken any notice of what's written on the front of your um, newsletter, um, this month uh, we're looking at God, God blesses us when we desire more. And the scripture that's given there is 2 Thessalonians 1.11. And if you read down there, you can see that. But there's one thing in particular I need us to look at. And in the middle of it, it says, that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith and prompted by faith. So that's the part we need to look at, and I'll come back to that later. Now, let's open a prayer. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that as we come here together today, I thank you that you brought us here safely. You'll take us home safely. But, but Lord, you brought us here for a purpose, and the purpose is to hear from you. We come here, Lord, just to fellowship with each other, Lord, but to be part of a family, Lord, to look and care for each other, but also to come and be as a family to gather around and hear what you have to say for us. Holy Spirit, give us the ears to hear what you have for us today, sift through this word that comes. And Lord, if there's anything of it that's not of you, Lord, just, just exclude it from our hearing. But Lord, if it's from you, let us hear it and put it into our heart, Lord. Lord, for my lips, Lord, just put onto my lips, Lord, what is yours, not what is mine, Lord. Just sift out what is not going to be beneficial to your children, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for that. We pray for that in the name of Jesus. This week has been a, um, well, not only this week, but... Uh, since this, this happened, what's been happening in the middle of the night, I'll be getting downloads of, of different messages. And just each night I'll get a message that, wow, that's good, that's good, that's good. And I go to write a note on it and that's, you know, and the next night something different and something different and something different and it continues on and it's been going like that for some time. But in the midst of it, there has been a, um, a recurring theme in there and, and, and I think, and I believe the Holy Spirit is asking me to share who I am now, who I was and who I am, leading into what we're going to be talking about. It's been an um, interesting week. It's been a, uh, I won't go into it, but it's been a, uh, when, something, when, you, when you're working on something, difficult times will come along, and it has been a, a, um, a bit of a struggle this week on certain areas. Um, so in the midst of the storm, there's peace for those. So in this midst of the storm, there was always, when I went back to this, there was a peace um, okay, let's go back and you guys, uh, those that have seen and know me think, oh, you know, I'm, I must have been a, you know, not too bad in my past life. I was uh, probably a model child and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, I got a little bit of news for you, you know, and I'll, I'm going to go through this briefly because when I go through this, there's a thread that goes all the way through that will talk about blessings that come and keep following on. So... Um, I've just got to watch the time, and I'll just give a. I'm hoping I can keep my part of it under ten minutes. We'll see what happens. Um, as a as a, I was born in Toowoomba, and my my parents bought a farm at um, at Grantham in 1947, the year I was born, and uh, we we were considered what is called dirt poor. Uh, we're subsistence farmers, and the only thing we had was what was on the on the farm. But when I do look back, I can see that. As much as we were poor as far as um, uh, money goes, there was a wealth that uh, at that time I didn't know. 
Um, so on that farm, I um, uh, the dad moved a hut, an old army hut, onto that place, and it was a um, it was an army mess hut. It was a weatherboard, unlined, open planned hut with an asbestos um, uh, super six roof on it, with wooden shutters for windows, and that, that's what we lived in. And uh, anyhow, when it come time to go to school, I I, um, I bleated and moaned, so they sent me to school early, and uh, but then. And interesting thing, we used to have to walk to school, about a mile to school up the old road to Grantham School where I went to. And uh, if uh, my siblings, well, I was born, to put it, get back to when I was, I was born in 47, I was in the middle of a, uh, of a family that was going to be um, two younger sisters, two older brothers and two older sisters. But anyhow, as we walked to school, if um, anyone got in front of me, I'd sit in the middle of the road and uh, throw a tantrum until everyone got behind me and away we went again. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of, I had to be in front, you know. Um, so I wasn't the nicest of girls and uh, guys. And anyhow, one, uh, one time there, my parents found me underneath the house with a box of matches trying to burn it down. And um, so, you know, this might make me look like, you know, someone is not going to get far. Um, my brother, one time, he... he um, he upset me for some reason, so I had this 10-inch flat file and I threw it at him and luckily he slipped his head to one side and missed him, and, but it put a hole in the galvanised iron water tank. So that's how much pressure I'd thrown it at. So, you know, and Noel would know the tongue of that file went through the tank. Another time he told me to stop shooting the hens, so I bade him I stopped shooting the hens and shot him in the leg instead. Um, anyhow, that's part of my dark side of life, you know, but... In the midst of all of this, I was glad it was the days when we were able to have religious education in school quite openly. So we used to go across the, 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 the road to the Methodist church and uh, for religious education there. And, and um, I loved to learn. I loved to listen, loved to learn. And, and uh, as the guy went through and he talked to us about um, um, a whole lot of things, we used to have to know the 23rd Psalm, the John 3.16, the Lord's Prayer and and a whole lot of other scriptures we used to have to learn. And, but now he talked about creation and um, talked about in the beginning there was nothing and then all the creation happened. So seeking the knowledge, I said to him after, I said, look, if in the beginning there was nothing, where did God come from? And uh, I, he was a very wise guy. He, he never answered that one except by saying, you have to believe I am. He was always there. That's where faith begins. He never tried to explain anything else. So that sat with me for a while. So we went on. But my dad, there's lots of little keys happening through this place. My dad wanted to be a pastor or a teacher, but circumstances uh, kept him on the farm back at Mount Sylvia and eventually got his own home, uh, own house, um, farm, and then the house. We were going to build a house there, and um, after the hut, was getting a little bit hard to live in. Uh, we chopped down a big tree on the farm, sent it into the storm and got it chopped up and, and we built the house on there. I was about 10 at the time and I remember sitting on the top of a, uh, of a, a wall with a brace and bit drilling nail holes in this uh, blue gum timber and my dad was talking to um, my uncle down there who was helping him build and they were talking about circumcision and my uncle Mick was saying that... Um, you know, talking about circumcision, flesh, and all that. And, and Dad said, no, that's not what it is. God requires circumcision of the heart. And that's something that sat with me. I never understood it, but it sat with me as something was said. Um, 
Anyhow, a little bit further on in my teens, there was a neighbour. We used to hand clothes backwards. They used to just give us clothes to keep wearing on. And it's quite interesting, you know, we'd get your hand-me-downs, whereas today you'll go and go to a shop and you'll buy something that's in worse condition than what you'd want to hand on and pay big money for it. But we used to get these clothes handed down to us. And Anyhow, this lady next door was moving. Um, uh, she was on an orchard there, um, Bess Phillips. And she said, Terry, I've got something for you. And she gave me a, a wall hanging. And that wall hanging was uh, footprints. She said, someday you'll understand what it means. Looking back over these precious moments, you know, these certain things that happened in my life that got me to where I am. So what, like I say, what I was, I wasn't so good. But then I had other people around doing certain um, things that meant a lot in, 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 um, as time went on. I heard about my grandma, my, um, and Auntie was telling me about my grandma. And uh, my grandma used to, uh, she lived out on Tent Hill Road on the farm out there. And she used to go back to the house and say, girls, come with me. We've got to go down to the dairy. There's a cow sick and we've got to lay hands on it. That's my grandma. When she passed away, um, the piano came to my mum. And mum used to sit down and, and play. Um, uh, she learned by ear. You know, she used to play her favourite songs. And one of them was there was the mansion over the hilltop. And she'd be playing this song, you know. So I had these people in my background all the time. And so we moved down and... Um, and at 15, so I went from there, went to, to Lockyer District High School when it started in uh, in the inaugural year, um, what, 62 or whatever it was. And two years of there. And then I went to Brisbane. At 15 and a half, I started work in Brisbane. So here's this naive country boy sent to Brisbane, living in a boarding house, uh, working for PMG, which is now Telecom. And um, used to work in the Tuong radio studios, the television studios and all that kind of stuff, the transmitters and so on. At 17 and a half, joined the Air Force. And uh, that was back in the time of the call-up for Vietnam. So we thought we'd just go, um, I'd go there and try to avoid going to the Army. I'd go to the Air Force, you know. Anyhow, um, trying to not be in the front line. But when I got to there and started that, I found there was a different culture there. And there was a culture of alcohol abuse. And so um, at, that age, at that time, the age was 21 for drinking age. But uh, because we were living on Commonwealth territory at the base, it was considered if you're old enough to join up, you're old enough to drink. So I abused alcohol fairly badly and um, uh, I used to drink a lot and uh, I just moved quickly to the streets of when I went to Melbourne, posted to Melbourne to, uh, to do training at the radio school there and um, we used to get tanked at home at, at the back of the base and then take some booze with us in the car, go to town and uh, see what, who we can harass in town. And um, one time I come across a street preacher and uh, me having a few scriptures behind me, giving a bit of a challenge, you know, quoted one day, scriptures going, quoting scriptures backwards and forwards, and eventually got a large crowd there and a crowd large enough to shut off one of the streets of Melbourne. And uh, the uh, plainclothes cops turned up, switching out the uh, guys who were the ringleaders. And anyhow, I was tapped on the shoulder and asked politely and firmly to get out of town. Uh, twice I was kicked out of Melbourne. And um, but then at um, 20, moved to the uh, poster to uh, San Francisco, and that was at the time. And if anyone remembers that, if you go to San Francisco, wear a flower in your hair days. It was the the drug revolution, and I was in amongst those people over there in Haight Ashbury and uh, in San Francisco. And 
But there was something embedded in me that prevented me from going near drugs. I I had a um, um, it was illegal, so I didn't touch it. There's much other things I did illegally and uh, never went to jail, fortunately. Um, but um, so I never touched cigarettes, never touched drugs, but I kept abusing alcohol. Um, so. And he went back after uh, I finished that six-year term in the Air Force and went out and went back to the farm. Met Anne, married. I've got to watch this time. We're moving on. and I'm not going to leave time for something else. Um, met Anne, got married, um, started doing some work on the farm. And um, initially I wasn't getting any money, so I couldn't afford booze, which was good. And um, then um, we found that we couldn't survive living on the farm so I rejoined the Air Force and uh, in, a, in a short time we would post it over to, Mal- over to Malaysia for three and a half years and the booze started up again and we, we hammered it pretty well, both of us. And um, you know, Back in those days, I'd say in those six years, sometimes I'd start a night with six tall bottles of beer and I'd finish the night up with a flag and a wine and I'd have a loss of memory for quite a few nights So um, uh, in the week. But anyhow... Um, Leaving Malaysia, we came back to Darwin, and um, and Darwin. There one night, um, we were driving home from the uh, um, the casino, drunk again, and we looked at each other and we said, "This has got to stop." So, 1983, we gave up booze. We were not saved at this stage, but something was watching over us and and protecting us. And there was plenty of times I could have lost my life on the way up to up to this point. And uh, anyhow. Uh, I came back down to, to Amberley and got posted back down here. And it was five years later before, uh, through a set of circumstances and uh, with um, hanging around one of her Jesus freak mates and um, a girl that used to preach Jesus all the time and talk about Jesus and stir Anne up a bit. But Anne stuck with her because she had horses. And uh, she loved these horses just to go riding with her. And anyhow, in the midst of that, she, um, um, she knew that Jesus, she was told that Jesus heals. And so uh, what happened there was um, a horse um, uh, had a bad fall, uh, was crippled, and, um, and she, she put God to test. You know, and uh, uh, she laid hands on and prayed for the horse, and the horse was cured and, and got up. Um, at that time, she, she gave her life to Christ at that moment. And uh, anyhow, so then she struggled for the next six months because here's me and... Um, and she's tried hard to get me to follow along. And um, so she's praying and moving and putting tracks and this and that around the place, trying to get me to come to a place that where I would um, join her in this walk. And uh, anyhow, uh, one day she got to the end of a tether and um, uh, one Thursday afternoon and she um, uh, cried out to God, said she couldn't handle it and handed it over and said, you fix him up. And uh, at that stage, um, and, and this, we're, we're, what we're going to be looking at here, we're looking at prayer uh, praying for others for um, uh, for healing is um, uh, there's blessings that follow uh, is basically what it's all about. So he's we're talking about the here is spiritual healing. I was spiritually broken. I needed to be healed. And so that afternoon I was um, I was due to give uh, I was at the uh, teaching at the field training flight in Ambly on F 11s and uh, I was due to give a lecture to uh, a whole lot of big knobs you know um, that afternoon and um, the, the finance appropriation people who gave the funding for everything else that was around the place. And I was supposed to be teaching on um, electronic countermeasures and reconnaissance for the F-111. 
Anyhow, I came up there, started my intro, ran my little video to go, and I was about to speak, and I could not speak. Because um, Anne had asked to pull the rugs out from underneath me, uh, and that's what happened. I couldn't speak. And um, eventually I, I was able to uh, to continue, and I, uh, by the end of the, once I got through my sessions, I'd overrun it, shot the whole afternoon up. No one else could speak. I was happy to get out of the place, get home. Next day, Friday, I went back to work at 6 o'clock. I was on a 6 to 12 shift. I was trembling. I couldn't wait to get away. 12 o'clock, I bolted on that place. I believe it was that weekend I gave my life to Christ. So, so our journey began. So we started in Toowoomba, in the COC in Toowoomba, and we had a good um, pastor up there, Ivan and Lorraine Nosworthy, and at the Toowoomba COC, and they used to come down and teach us at Iredale at, uh, in, in groups, and we saw massive amounts of healing up there, healing all the time. And, uh, and, and from the healings, we, we would get strengthened each time and get strengthened each time. I, I got to meet a guy up there. Uh, someone introduced me to Harold Ernst, and he had um, he'd heard about these healing crusades going to India, and he wanted to be on one of them. So it just it was a truck driver, and it just so happened he got time to, um, to go, and the money came in, the finance came in, and he went over there, and he's oh, I'm going to watch, you know, and, and he's up there, and Les Holmes was doing it. He, he preached up and uh, set everything up, and he said, and then the time came for prayer, and they, there was that many people, they lined them up in sheep runs, to, like sheep runs coming down to be prayed for, and Harold's going, this would be good to watch, and he says, Harold, you've got that line. So he had to go and pray for that line. The first person that came down, uh, they led down, and he could see he was blind, and so he said, well, I'm you know, you just call in the, I don't know if they do the hold the hand up, call in the name of Jesus. And he said, while he was calling on the name of Jesus for him, he watched the scales fall off his eyes. He said, then I moved my hands. And he tracked my hand as I was going across. He said, God, I'm just a truck driver. Show me more. The next person that came down, he said, was crippled up and harmed like this. He prayed for me. He heard the cracking of the bones and the hand come out. To see the transformation in this guy, the um, the life in him, because of what he'd seen, he'd prayed, and these blessings came his way. He, it, it, you know, it life me. It, it gave me something, a hope, and a desire to um, continue in the past that he was talking about. Um, anyhow, um, okay, so go from there. We got transferred. A lot of things happened. We got transferred to Melbourne. I go down to Melbourne and um, we um, joined a church down in Melbourne, uh, Sunshine COC, and uh, wasn't there long. And they said to us, oh, we want you to become deacons. We said, we don't want to be. And they said, that's why you're going to become deacons. You don't want it. Anyhow, a little bit later, we um, did a pastors, uh, pastors and leaders course and, um, and we were made a persistent pastors down there. And, and uh, a lot of good things happened down there. Oh, before that happened, before we went down there, I need to tell you this part because once we started our walk, the devil tries to get in and, under, and take it to everything you believe away from you. We ended up, he attacked our family. I had my eldest sister was uh, bitten by a snake. My uh, uh, second eldest sister had a massive growth in her that was taken to an operation in Melbourne, uh, in, in, in Brisbane. Uh, my youngest sister had a gangrenous um, um, appendix, had to be taken out. She was in the um, Toowoomba, um, uh, uh, one of the Toowoomba hospitals. And, and they all survived and everything went well. And then my dad got cooked. I came back home one Monday afternoon. I came back and I stopped at the farm to see dad. And he's sitting on the veranda. He said, look, he said, can you give me a hand to get up and stand at the veranda whales 
He says, once I get there, I'll be right. So I, I left him up and took him to the veranda rails. And the next day when I was at work, uh, I get a call. He was taken to hospital in Toowoomba. So um, we, um, I came home, took Anne. We went up to Toowoomba. And, um, and what we thought was he'd been church on Sunday. And on, you know, on Monday, he was crooked. And on Tuesday, in hospital. So we, um, we went up there. And um, Dad and, and Anne used to have a little bit of um, discussions about Pentecostalism, speaking in tongues. So it was always that little bit of because he was Church of Christ. Yeah, you could know each other. Anyhow, um, anyhow, and uh, some very interesting things happened there. But one of the things that was really good was he would say, "The doctor's finished with me." Um, he said, "Yeah, they're gone." He says, "Anne, pray for me," so that healing came between them. They, they he was started to look to Anne and uh, to do that, and and then the blessings that came out of this is the prayer and the blessings that follow it was unbeknown to us was how sick he was. And um, he, he, made, he made this statement out to us. He said, look, he said, the Lord's been good to me. He's given my, me my three score years and ten. And he said, I'm ready to go home. And he said, uh, as, as, and, um, he said I've already been to heaven and I've seen my, uh, my son, my brother, uh, you know, a four-year-old uh, brother. My brother was uh, electrocuted when he was four years old. He'd already been to see him. And, my, um, and he's been to see his grandson who was killed on a, a motorbike accident at 18 who was a, a believer. And he said he'd already been there. So the blessing that came to us, we had the blessed assurance that it, there is a life after, a first-hand experience from someone telling us. It's not something we read in Revelations. It's something that, you know, and what better blessing you can get to give you that start and that move in life. And, and we can say this is something that followed prayer, but anyhow, he gave us that assurance. Anyhow, jump forward with that insurance um, that, that gave us that, a solid foundation. And we go down, we're down in Melbourne. We're serving down in Melbourne. Lots of different ways of praying down there. And um, we always used to pray before the, uh, the Sunday services. And we were doing a series well over a year. We were, a whole group of us were gathering together for an hour of prayer each day at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And, and um, we would see lots and lots and lots of miracles happening. We went to a... Um, I'll pick out one that we went to a, a near over Willowtown, over to a hospital over there, and there was a lady, a pregnant lady, who was um, had a, um, a, a a growth shown up on an X-ray that they were going to operate on, and we went and prayed for her. They did a pre-X-ray, um, and um, wasn't there. They cancelled the operation. Another time, um, we would always pray to set up and things that so things would be go well in the service. And uh, during a worship time, a lady came in there and. And um, um, we thought there's a bit of commotion later on during the worship sermon. Wonder what was that? And she had been just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, she felt something had happened to her. She went back to the doctor, and it was gone. Um, you know, these strengthen us, and 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 strengthen and strengthen to see things go on. And so once I was told, it says in in the mouths of two or three witnesses, you'll get things verified. Well, Dad talked about the afterlife. I'll go into another another situation where we had a lady, we used to run a group down there, probably about 15 people or so at that group, and one lady used to come, came, started coming along, and she was a millionaire, a multi-millionaire, and, but she'd only been to about grade two in school, very little in school, and she was on depression, antidepressants. She was, um, um, her life was a mess in that way, and she used to come late, leave early, and as time went on and we worked with her and she found who her identity in Christ was, 
she began to become the first person to come and the last person to leave. And on top of that, uh, Gracie then became a, uh, a, a solid prayer partner with Anne and they used to go around praying for people all over the place and visiting and praying. And, and one of the ladies that was um, they were praying for, and I'll just pick out this one, was um, Leonie. And um, she uh, sometimes we'd have to climb over a back fence to get to and find her um, because... Um, She'd be in absolute, um, you know, you couldn't get in the house and she'd be lying on the couch in agony and, and we, we'd pray for her and, um, and uh, we knew that she'd been seeing doctors and the doctors would, said they, nothing, there's nothing wrong with her. They saw her as a hypochondriac because this lady had been, um, had a family murdered in front of her and uh, they thought it had to be something to do with her mind and not so much to do with her health. And anyhow, this used to happen. They'd go, and anyhow, she went off the radar and we couldn't find her. Suddenly we heard they'd pushed her into a uh, psychiatric ward at, um, at the hospital over in uh, off Furlong Road in, in Sunshine. And uh, So Anne and Grace went to visit her and they found her in a, a, uh, in a um, um, locked away in this little ward and they'd be feeding her mind-bending drugs. And, and they went in there and she was blaspheming and all other kinds of stuff. And uh, But she also, um, there was something wrong with her arm. And so, and she, so these guys showered her, got her fixed up got out and tore strips off the nurses and got them to send her to a doctor. Anyhow, this lady, when they x-rayed her, to find this break in her arm, she was riddled with bone cancer. So in all the time of treatment, they hadn't seen what was wrong with her. Anyhow, in the midst of all this, they moved to another hospital and they treated and put on pain medication to sort her out. And, uh, and this was one time prayer didn't, didn't physically heal her. And so she was then sent to a palliative care place and um, um, anyhow, she was in palliative care and uh, and Anne, I think, had to come back. I think she came back to up here because her mum was crook or something. And anyhow, on this Friday, because I used to work Monday, to, uh, I think it was Tuesday and Wednesday, Friday, I used to work three days a week to support myself because I was a volunteer at the church. I never got paid and... Uh, and uh, so Friday was the day off, and Anne said, "Oh, you've got to go and you, you've got to go and visit Leonie." I thought well, it's a woman's job. Why do you send a woman? You know, kind of anyhow. Anyhow, so typical thing: go down there, raining, can't park near the hospital, got to walk through the rain, get there, and I'm in the best of moods. You know, by the time I get there, anyhow, uh, walk into the and walking down the um, the hallway, and um, there's a a glass panel, and Gracie's in the uh, Leonie's in the first bed on the other side with an oxygen mask, and she spotted me out the corner of the eye and she said, the nurse, take the mask off. Here comes my man. And so I'm, I'm going in there and I'm supposed to be ministering to her and um, she proceeded to tell me about her visitations into heaven. Uh, the angelic beings, the singing and all that that was around her. And um, so in once again, this is a blessing that came from caring about someone else and putting you in a position to receive something, and she reinforced again the second witness to the heaven, the, to the to an afterlife, and um, and I came away there absolutely buoyed. She was uh, she was on top of the world and uh, completely at peace. And anyhow, that Sunday I had to uh, I had to take the, the meeting on Sunday. It was typical, what used to happen is sometimes a senior pastor, because he was an area pastor, he'd say. Yeah, Ring me up at seven in the morning. And say, oh, by the way, I'm not coming in. I've got to go to Bendigo or Ballarat or something. You take them. Thing out. So, anyhow, while I was um, uh, speaking about Leonie during the service that morning, because um, that was on fr- Friday, I saw her on Saturday. On the third day, she um, she she passed away. 
Um, but the blessing from that was to reinforce in me um, what was going on. Because you're looking outside of yourself. Uh, I hadn't talked about Anne, dropping back to Anne before we left Brisbane. She had a back injury and she was sent down to, um, uh, uh, she was sent, uh, this came adrift, uh, loose, pressed on a thing, I took into Gatton. She was there a couple of days in pain and suddenly she came good and they said they couldn't believe it. Okay. So she set left to go and she went down to Mel, uh, down to Brisbane. Got to Brisbane and, um, and staying with her sister for a bit of recuperation and suddenly she ended up in hospital. Um, uh, what had happened, the disc had, had ruptured and it had run up and down the spine and uh, they rushed her into uh, Brisbane Hospital and um, there happened to be a, a just happened to be a the surgeon there overheard what was happening. He said, I'll take this one and put her into an emergency operation. Uh, six and a half hours later, um, uh, they found every bit that was missing. And um, But in the meantime, they damaged the spinal cord. And uh, they gave her the news that she might not walk again. And um, um, so Anne's concern was, how would I take it? She wasn't worried so much about herself. How would I take it? She looked out from herself. And um, anyhow, as time went on, she got to be able to, with a prosthesis on her leg and a, and a, and a, a walking kind of frame thing, she was able to drag herself around a little bit and, and she used to pray for others in the building that uh, she'd go to another bed if she heard something go on and pray for that and so the doctors in the end said look we that's all we can do for you, you just have to go you know and they said look it's okay you've done what you can Jesus and I'll take it from here and that was a bit of a play on words and two things one thing she used to call the stick she had Jesus and it was one step for Jesus for me one step for Jesus but also in her belief in, in what would happen and so the blessing continued to come because eventually you can see Anne, she's pretty much walks out well by comparison. She's, she's going quite well today. And um, so blessings will continue to follow. And um, coming, uh, I need to cover this other one too. We've got a bit of time. I need to cover another one. Remember I said I harassed a street preacher on an uh, outreach. So what should happen to me? I've got to go and start doing street outreaches on Hampshire Road in Sunshine. And uh, we used to do them probably once a month, I think it was. We used to run a street outreach down there. And at that time, we, we were praying for, um, just pray a whole lot of things and, and some free prayer. And there's one particular person went off the radar. And uh, we're praying for him, you know, for someone to he'd come across, someone, someone to deal with him. And, and eventually we changed our prayer. And we said, Lord, if, if you want us to be the people, we, you know, let us be the people to, uh, to, to bring him out of this. And, and so Anne prepared a room in the house. She prepared uh, in the spare bedroom. She made it up as a guest room. And anyhow, one of the street outreaches, as we finished, and um, we looked across, and um, uh, there was many times things that happened. I remember one time a, a preacher came along, and he was on the edge, and, uh, and we went to see him later. And he said, uh, look, I was about to give up my church, but when I saw what was happening here, I decided to go and continue uh, my church. But th- in this particular time, on the outside, there was this, this guy that we'd been praying for was waiting as the crowd cleared. So when we packed up and I went over to um, this guy, to David, and I said, um, he, he said, look, I mean, I've got a question to ask you. He said, I need a place to stay. And I said, that's okay, just come and stay with us. He said, oh, well, you need to see Anne first. I'll talk to Anne. I said, no, Anne's already prepared the room for you. And so as we left um, that after we packed up and we we're going down to pick, he said, I said, when? He said, this afternoon. So we went down to his house. Uh, and on the way to his house, he said, oh, look, there's something I need to tell you. He said, there's been a fire. 
And um, okay, so we go down and we get to um, his um, flat because we'd been tried many times again and the gates were locked and he wouldn't answer. He'd been out off the radar for a long time. We go into this building and we go in through the kitchen down the hallway and into the lounge and the place is just covered with soot and it was an absolute mess. And we go into the lounge and there on the in the lounge is a very light-coloured carpet and you could see the outline of where a body laid. So what had happened there, he'd gone over to, to change the channels of TV. He's probably watching AFL, which is what they always do down in Melbourne, nothing else. They worship the football. And as he's coming back, he tripped over a three-bar heater, hit his head on the wall and knocked himself unconscious or passed out. I'm not sure which way it was. But the three-bar heater burnt through the carpet, through the floor, through the joists and went down on the ground below. And the place was covered with smoke. And we, you come out of there and you go back out in the kitchen open the kitchen cupboard, the benches were black and you pick up a cup and you see the ring where the cup came from. He survived in that. There was the body outline there. Anyhow, um, we brought him back and he stayed with us a couple of years and he watched us. And uh, he used to be a very knowledgeable man. He knew everything about God and uh, he used to preach and teach about God, you know. And... um, um, and he watched us and he, he said to us one day afterwards, he said, look, I've been observing, watching the spirit work in your lives. And anyhow, he recovered from all of this. And then he became, he, he started to get back into the platform days and he could take the notes on a postage stamp and preach a message. He, he had a spirit uh, operation now. Now this David is, um, uh, we had two annexes running down there at the time, Werribee and um, Broadmeadows, and he took over the Broadmeadows annex and he's still down there today, and that's where we go every July. We go down to um, uh, to David, and this is the other blessing that comes. Every time that we get a word back that there's been an, um, an alcoholic set free from alcoholism, uh, a, a drug addict set free, or a healing take place, we know that it was a part of something that God had taken us down this path to, whether it was my grandma, whether it was my mum or my neighbour, or someone who guided our path, Somewhere brought us to a place that we could rescue someone else or be involved in the rescue of someone else, and then they go on to rescue more people. So it just goes on and on. These are the blessings that follow when you look outside of yourself. And I know I'm running out of time, run up the top here. But so we go down. I'll just stop on that portion of it and say 2,000 years ago, God made an offer. In 1983, I believe he intervened to save our lives with the booze. Another five years before, we accepted this offer he'd made. More than anything else, we need spiritual healing. Physical is one thing. I'm prepared, I'm prepared to go around. I've had my three score years in town. I'm prepared to go now. I'm, I'm, you know, um, because I know there's a sure where I'm going to go. Spiritual warfare is another thing. I've got these little notes that keep dropping through the night. Spiritual warfare is not going out and gaining something. Spiritual warfare is keeping the ground that was given to us. 2,000 years ago, he gave us, if you look in Ephesians 1, 3 or something like that, every spiritual blessing has come to us. Um, so all we've got to do is be in a position to claim that. Jesus is the source of all blessings. The cross was it. For prayer to be effective... We need to look, and I can't think of the scripture at the moment. It's on the right-hand page, halfway up. Um, the um, it says, "Pray, for, uh, uh, ask, and it will be given." Something, but it's, there's a there's a 
a context around it says, if you hold something against someone, deal with it before you pray. So to me that says that if you pray without dealing with it, you won't get the answers or shouldn't expect the answers. Therefore, the blessings won't necessarily follow. So this might step on someone's toes and I need to do it because forgiveness sometimes is a bitter pill to swallow. But the healing can bring you a great blessing. Forgive them. Uh, um, and, and we are supposed to take on his characters, not what I do to get that gets this blessing. It's where I am, where I put myself. It's where I position myself. And at that table, if I position myself, I can feed upon those good things he has for us. I, there's a beautiful song that reminds me of this. That when Jesus was on the cross, all the things that happened and went to him and nailing up and all that went, this guy says, when I looked in his eyes, I saw love where hatred should have been. I saw love where hatred should have been. So everything that could happen to us, he took to the cross, dealt with it. He looked back with love and said, forgive them, they know not what they do. So no matter, and there's blessings that come from honoring your parents. If you don't honor your parents, how can you expect to get the blessings? Now your parents could be the most horrid people around. They could have done horrendous things to you. But this has been dealt with on the cross. And Jesus looked with love where hatred should have been. Unless I take on his character and position myself to where he's placed me, then I miss out on these blessings. You then are anchored into the things that went wrong in your life. You go live them over and over again. But if you can take this forgiveness, and even if you, you, know, you just say, give me the Lord, give me the strength to forgive, you don't have to condone what they did, but anyone who comes at you have to forgive them for your benefit to get the blessings. And that is probably one of the most important things. Blessings are an inheritance, not a payment. I can't earn them. Because I am a child of God, the blessings are mine, not what I do. Um, he has given, but have I received? He has given, have I received? Position yourself to receive. There's a whole lot of things down here. Uh, you must die. To, uh, I'm going to have to stop there because we're going over time now. And um, he. Another note that came during the night. He keeps the godless alive in the hope that they will respond. Unless I admit that I am a sinner, then there's no need for a saviour. I admit that I was a sinner. I was a bad sinner. And I've only told you some of the nicer things in my life. So there's some things in there I don't want to... I don't want to Go down the path to, you know, God, I should have been in jail. There's a whole lot of things that should have, should have, should have. However, there was a Redeemer who rescued me. And in rescuing me, he put me in the in a place to where someone else could be rescued. And the blessings just flow and flow. And in the midst of that, I have the surety, the blessed assurance that at the end of time, when I leave and cross the Jordan, there is a place I'm going to go. I will join my Father. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that I just thank you, Lord, that if there's anyone here, Lord, and uh, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that if anyone is struggling with these things, that you pour into them, Lord. You pour your presence into them and you bring them to a realization of the position you've placed them at. They are now seated. If, they, if, they've, if they've accepted you, they're now seated at the table with you in heaven. They're no longer in this 
earthly place. As much as we've seen them here physically, we live in that other place and the blessings just come and they, the enemy has no hold over us. He has no hold of us. I just thank you, Father, that, uh, for the opportunity to share today. And I just thank that in this, Lord, there is something in spiritual, Lord, is going to bring blessings and hope and life, not only to these that are here, but for those that they pray for. Those that are on the hearts, the lost, the hurt, the, the ones that need redeeming. And I just thank you. You paid the price for that. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.